Midlands Today on Midlands 183 with O'Brien's Mullingar. It's official Westmead. No county loves Renault more. P.O.Brien.ie When people in the Midlands want to talk, they talk to Will Faulkner. Well, good morning and happy Friday. It's fine weather for ducks, isn't it? Said to be a weekend of it. Ah, well. Coming up today, we take you inside a Midlands Regional Hospital, looking at all the pressure points, not just COVID. Will Met Aaron's new supercomputer bring better forecasts? Not necessarily better weather, but maybe more accurate predictions. And one year on, how one lady isn't letting her dementia diagnosis hold her back. When you call 0818 300 103 is the Midlands 103 comment line. You can text or WhatsApp 083 30 10 103, powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. Now, what have we got on the front pages today? Slow uptake of boosters amid work-from-home warnings. Yes, COVID very much dominating yet again. So GPs say many in the eligible groups are slow to get their COVID-19 booster shot. Meanwhile, the government is under pressure from doctors to reinstill the work-from-home message. But there's a bit of a stare-down between the National Public Health Emergency Team and ministers who don't want to be seen to go backwards. Uh, one rather amusing story. Uh, Michael O'Leary, the boss of Ryanair, a very colourful character, a very blunt and outspoken man, you can only imagine what his text or his WhatsApp messages might say. Well, the High Court has directed that he turn over messages as part of an action being taken after that strike two years ago involving their pilots. So I don't know if it's just going to be work messages or if he was chatting with the missus, if he was chatting to his friends about making plans, how much of his personal life will be revealed. Uh, presumably, they're just going to confine it to the serious stuff. Uh, by the way, Cristiano Ronaldo pictured on so many pages a beautiful moment as he hugs a fan. Heard it described earlier as a dad hug. It's one of those lovely moments. A uh, young girl, Addison Whelan, made her way onto the pitch last night and he gave her his jersey and, ah, that's a moment she's going to remember forever. Will we remember COP26 in a few weeks' time? Because it's been going for two weeks and it's coming to a close, this great gathering of world leaders, which is hopefully, from an environmental point of view, going to do some good. But if you're Greta Thunberg, if you're a climate activist, then maybe you think it's just more blah, 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 blah. Anyway, the Irish Times tells us that the EU is trying to get a deal over the line with other international organisations, trying to keep a lid on our temperatures, one and a half degrees being the target of a maximum increase this century. Well, we'll see. But what does it mean in everyday terms for fuel prices and for the insulation in your home and the car that you drive? And all of that has yet to be determined. Now, where else are we going? So... Very quickly, let's get the COVID news out of the way. 
A teenager, unfortunately, has become the youngest person in Ireland to die as a result of COVID-19. They were just 14 years of age. Now, it doesn't say whether they had any underlying conditions. I don't know. They were one of six people under the age of 25 to have died in the state from COVID-19. Monaghan has the highest number of deaths per capita and the average age of people who have passed away is 80. Now, that's in the Irish Times, which also tells us that sales of antigen tests are expected to rise considerably in the run-up to Christmas. And when you think about it, if you're going out, if you're meeting relatives, if you're taking that extra precaution, the antigen test may not be the gold standard. Doctors are always banging that drum, but at least it's better than nothing, I suppose. Now, a good night for Ireland, definitely. Stephen Kenny will be trying his luck in the midweek lotto, no doubt, because uh, they managed to hold Portugal uh, in front of a full house on Thursday night. That's the first full house in a long, long time in Lansdowne Road. Um, Anyway, it was quite a moment, as you can see on the front pages for that little girl, but I think everybody left happy and contented after a good performance by the Irish team. Here's a bizarre one. What is the strangest thing you've ever received in the post? Because a number of TDs received joints. Yes, cannabis joints delivered to Leinster House, mainly to green TDs, no sense of irony there, green TDs receiving their cannabis, linked to National Legalised Cannabis Day. Some Finnegale and Fianna Fáil TDs also received it, with Clare TD Cahill Crow saying it was definitely the most unexpected item that his office has ever received. Mind you, if you can get a cannabis joint in there, naturally, people will wonder, can you get anthrax in there or some sort of explosive. It really does raise a question about the security at Leinster House. Elsewhere, nursing homes will be subject to tighter visiting restrictions from Monday. Now, when you think about it, maybe this isn't before time. If you are required to prove uh, that you are vaccinated in a restaurant or in a pub, well, Surely you should be required to prove that in a nursing home. If you're following that logic, and I know not everybody agrees with vaccination certs or their effectiveness or whether they're discriminatory, but if you're applying it in a restaurant or in a pub or in a hotel, then surely of all places you should apply it in a nursing home. Anyway, expect to be asked to show photo ID and to display your vaccine cert when you next visit the nursing home next week. All right, where else are we going? 16-year-old girl missing in County Longford, Louise Little from Edgeworthstown. And you'll find her picture online this morning. She was last seen Friday of last week, the 5th of November. Half ten, she left her home and her family is very concerned for her welfare. She's five foot four, slim build, long black hair and blue eyes. When last seen... She was wearing a black jacket, white top, black tracksuit bottoms and black boots. And again, her picture paints a thousand words. You will recognise her, hopefully, and be able to alert the Gorthy if you see her in your area. Now, 
Would you like some good news? I think it's time we had something to celebrate. Here's a fine achievement by two ladies in Tullamore, Mary Connolly and her daughter Emma, and they have lost between them 16 and a half stone. And these ladies were very much uh, a support for each other. They managed to turn their health concerns into turning over a new leaf. And we'll find out, hopefully, as the programme goes on, how they managed to achieve that. But in Emma's case, she says two years ago, she couldn't even walk as far as the shop across the road without having a pain in her back. And she is just 26 years of age. She says people don't even recognise her now. So big boola bust there. And another bit of good news, because Eileen Lachlan and Enda Lachlan, well known in the GAA community in County Westmeath, they have been through the most awful, awful time in the last few years following the death of their beautiful uh, beautiful daughter, Annabelle, in a tragic accident in their house. And they have just welcomed into the world baby Isla Lachlan. She was born a very happy and a very healthy eight pounds and four ounces and all are doing well. So massive congratulations to Eileen and to Enda to the boys, to all the family, and a new chapter begins. Now, elsewhere, uh, this is a rather unusual story. The psychic who didn't see his trial coming. So, a psychic-turned-financier is facing trial accused of money-laundering offences, says the Irish Daily Star. This is former astrologer and tarot card reader Simon Gold. Simon is 56 years of age and has an address at Carton Troy in Athlone, for the record. And allegedly, he deposited crime proceeds totalling €90,170 in a bank account in 2017 and in 2018. Anyway, his case came before the Dublin District Court yesterday... And defence solicitor Paddy McGarry said the accused could not attend because he was unwell. So hence the headline, trial, uh, excuse me, psychic didn't see trial. Hmm. All right. One or two more very, very quickly. If you're a fan of Dancing with the Stars, it has been renewed for another series due to begin early next year. So they're sussing out potential uh, candidates at the moment. Who would you like to see take part? And finally, Kim Kardashian. She has, at the age of 41, found herself a new boyfriend, Pete Davidson, and Pete is 27. This guy has been with more women in Hollywood than just about anybody else. And you would be thinking, is he an absolute bronzed Adonis? No, he's not. He's not your classically handsome guy, but he is smart and he's very very successful and he's a very funny guy known for Saturday Night Live and there are other rumours about what he may be packing which perhaps captures her interest but anyway Larissa Nolan writes in the Irish Independent how there's a double standard here because in the 21st century if you see a man with a woman who is nearly 20 years younger than him you would label him creepy Women see it as a personal insult. But here we have Kim Kardashian going out with a fellow who is substantially younger than her, and the attitude is she should be celebrated, she should be championed. Well done, well done. Well, Does it really matter 
what age somebody is and what age their other half is. As long as both of them are happy, who are we to judge? Anyway, that's in the Irish Independent today, and I agree with her. There is definitely a double standard in that regard. Am I wrong? Met Aaron's supercomputer. Just try to imagine this now. If every human being alive on this planet at this moment were asked to do half a million hard sums and you combined all of those together, it would almost be as much as this computer can do in one second. Every human being, half a million half, uh, hard sums, almost at the level this computer can calculate in one second. Thank you to Niall the Number Cruncher for doing that one. But can it tell whether it's going to rain tomorrow? That's really what we want to know. We'll find out in an hour's time. Now, to the Netherlands. Because we've been comparing ever since the pandemic began how each country manages its restrictions, its hospitals, and getting back to day-to-day -to -day life. Tom Cleary is a native of Banneher in County Offaly. He's been living in the Netherlands for quite some time. Let's see what's happening there now. Tom, good morning. Good morning from a sunny but chilly Netherlands. Sunny but chilly. What is it now? It's, uh, it, it's a very damp but reasonably mild Midlands this morning. So oh, lovely, lovely. Quite a contrast. I was just home only a week ago, actually, for the Sean Ryan that Burr is a nephew of mine, and I was home for his wedding after being postponed twice. Finally, he finally got married. Excellent, and congratulations to all. I hope you had a good time. Can we... I had a lovely time in Durrell Castle. It was fantastic. Oh, lovely venue. Very nice. Yeah, great venue, yeah. Now, in the Netherlands at the moment, you've had a return of some restrictions which never really disappeared here. For instance, mask wearing is now encouraged again. And the... Is there a requirement for a vaccination cert? Yes, uh, for all uh, entries into theatres, uh, pubs, restaurants, uh, sport events, uh, you need to show your QR code. And is that just on a vaccine or can you take a test and get a pass if you're negative? Yes, that, uh, that's uh, possible also. OK, well, that's a, that's that's a rather important morning. difference over hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what's happening at the moment is uh, tonight at 7 o'clock uh, Dutch time, uh, the, the Prime Minister is going to give uh, uh, a conference again. And they have a new name for the next three weeks. It's going to be called the Lockdown Light for three weeks. What is that expected pubs? to mean, Tom? Now, that is pubs, restaurants and non-essential shops are going to be closed at 7 o'clock in the evening. And from Saturday at 7 o'clock, uh, tomorrow then, uh, no, uh, yeah, tomorrow uh, at 7 o'clock, uh, only be allowed four people to come to your home also. So that uh, things like that. Uh, also, the yesterday was the highest uh, positive test ever in the Netherlands with 16,360 positive tests. And this time last year, was there only, this had daily, daily tests, and this time last year there was only 5,000. So that's really, really a, a new lockdown is necessary, as simple as that.
Well, one of the big changes, obviously, in the 12 months has been the introduction of vaccination campaigns. And here in Ireland, we've yes, had yes, an uptake yes. of more than 90%. How has it been taken up in the Netherlands? Uh, we're at, uh, you must remember, the Netherlands is roughly the size of Munster, and you have uh, 17 million people living here. So it's pretty crowded, so it is. But it's 88% uh, from 80 year, 18 years and older. 88% is vaccinated. Okay, so quite comparable to here. And yeah. are the hospitals under much pressure? Beginning to. Uh, the, for example, uh, yesterday was in that new record from positive tests, but this time last year, uh, uh, was there 606 in intensive care. And new today is there only 330. So that's the result of the vaccination. It really works. But uh, still a lot of people, there's about 2 million people don't want to get vaccinated here in Holland. Yes, but the argument against lockdowns, even from the World Health Organization, is that they should only be used when your health system is about to be overwhelmed to give them a relief, to give them a chance to regroup. So... If the intensive care admissions are at half what they were 12 months ago, will there be support for even a lockdown light? The, the vast majority are uh, positive about it, but we ha- you have a, a certain minority that like uh, are completely against everything that has to do with the corona of COVID-19. So it's very, it's very difficult to, to sort of give an opinion on it because there's pros and cons, obviously. Uh, but all I can say, for example, for myself, I play competition darts and I had my fourth uh, game, fourth league game last night. And if, with, with the pools closing from Saturday at 7 o'clock in the evening, that's the competition then will be uh, postponed again for the third time. That two years are gone when we couldn't play darts. And uh, for example, a banner of a, a Forban man from uh, a Forban, Danny Guinan, is Sunday week. He's presenting his new CD. A lovely, a great singer-songwriter from Forban, and he's presented it here in Harlem in the Netherlands. So I hope that will go ahead also. Things like that. It, it, uh, going to the shop now, you have to wear a mask again. Uh, that was for months where we didn't have to use a mask, and now we have to use it again. I'm not sure what the night uh, economy is like in the Netherlands, but here, if the pubs were to close at seven, it would render them useless for a lot of people, um, those who were working, those who perhaps have family commitments and so on. We tend to go out in the evening and, and into the night. So, yeah. are the pubs kicking up at the prospect of being shut air? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for like, uh, drink the drinking culture in Holland is a lot different than the drinking culture in Ireland. I think Ireland is a one-off when it comes to that. But um, for for restaurants, more for eating out is the, the biggest problem here. The the Dutch have always uh, drank a lot at home, also. So that doesn't the drinking is not really a problem, but the eating. Eating out, that is well a problem. So the restaurants will be most displeased at this. Now, how long will this lockdown light last? Well, the, 
this is all uh, the, the outbreak management team, as it's called. These are the recommendations. And we will hear at 7 o'clock this evening if all these recommendations are going to be put into work. And it's going to be for three weeks. Which will bring us up then to the start of December, which is obviously when more people will socialise for Christmas, parties will yeah. take place, families reunite, yeah. yeah. etc. So is there an expectation that once Christmas is over, you could have another lockdown light? There's talks of it, but it's more the talk at the moment in the, uh, say, the daily the daily newspapers, uh, the daily media, is for this lockdown light, which the name is fantastic, I think. But um, we haven't got to <laughs> as far as Christmas yet. So mm. No, it just has echoes of Ireland last year. We were told it actually started in October. Let's lock down, yep. and it lasted for about six weeks so we could have a, quote, meaningful Christmas. And having enjoyed our meaningful Christmas, we then had five months of lockdown afterwards. I hope yeah, that's, uh, that's uh, not the trajectory again. Yeah, like I, I, I must remember, I hadn't been home uh, until uh, a week or two weeks ago, so now that was I've been two years, uh, I haven't been home. Like, it's a lot of people abroad uh, uh, suffer an awful lot in, in situations like this, or well, situations like this is the first time this ever happened. Like, uh, a virus that has brought more or less the world to a standstill, it's unbelievable. We'll watch with interest to see what the Dutch government announces later, whether the lockdown light materializes as expected. Tom. Stay safe and thank you very much for taking our call. I just want I just want to say one thing. I want to wish St. Rhinus the best of luck in the county finals on the week. <laughs> Good man. You'll be listening live on Middles103.com. Good man. Take care. Tom Cleary from Bannerhurt never loses it, does he? And if you have an interest in that game, by the way, Midlands103.com around the world. Or you can hear all the action on the inside line on FM with Willow Callahan. 083-3010-103. The Midlands 103 text and WhatsApp line. Powered by Land Brothers Arden Road, Tullamore. Home of Toyota. The top-selling car brand in Offaly. Midlands 103. Remember that number, especially if you wish to send me a voice note. Hi Will, it's Laura Cook here. Uh, I was on, on your show before uh, regarding diabetes services in the Midlands Re- Regional Hospital in Port Leash. I'm just wondering, would you um, help us in getting some support for a public demonstration that we're holding this Sunday between 11 and 12 o'clock outside Port Leash Hospital? Sunday is World Diabetes Day and we're still waiting on the adult insulin pump clinic in Port Leash. No progress has been made and uh, we have some of the TDs and counsellors etc and ourselves uh, and the staff in Port Leash consultants and diabetes staff working hard on this but nothing is happening. So we're having a public demonstration and we're looking for as much support as possible. It doesn't have to be a person with type 1, it could be someone that knows a person with type 1, a partner, a family member, anybody. We just need some support and if they could, could they dress in blue? Blue is the theme for Diabetes World Diabetes Day. Um, We need to stick together as a community and fight this together. Thanks Will. So strength in numbers Sunday morning 11 until 12 
and it's at Portlaoise Hospital, dress in blue, the more the merrier, please. Now, let's check in with a lady. One year since our last conversation to find out if she is still refusing to let dementia hold her back and what life is treating her like at the moment. Helen Rochford Brennan, good morning. Morning, Will. Nice to talk to you again. And great. How are you keeping? I'm not too bad. I'm still fighting the fight. I'm still um, trying to stay well. Um, still trying to stay active. And um, thankfully, uh, I'm still able to do that. Great. Despite, despite probably having a pretty horrendous year personally. Well, I know you have a passion for raising awareness about not just dementia but getting the diagnosis getting it early taking positive action can you share a little of your own story for those who missed it on the first occasion yes well i was uh, first diagnosed at 57 uh with what is called early onset alzheimer's uh, and then it took uh five years to really get a full diagnosis or fully confirmed and that was um I, I know today that it is difficult to diagnose early onset because many of the things we do in normal life we continue to do, albeit that we have short-term memory. And that short-term memory basically means what happened yesterday or the day before and that day or what I might have read this morning um, is gone into another place. And so it's very difficult to live with. But... It took it took a while to get that diagnosis. And when I got that diagnosis, um, I was driving home by myself, and I was thinking, you know, how am I going to tell? Uh, I, I should say that I was a wife to Sean. He passed away last December, and I'm a mum. Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. And um, I, you know, I was driving home thinking, how am I going to tell them? You know, mm. in an undisclosed amount of time, I may not remember them or remember any of the great memories that banked along the way. And how was I going to cope telling people that I had this diagnosis? And that is uh, almost nine years ago. And that was um, then there was a lot of stigma in the country and we didn't understand. And we didn't have a campaign like the Understand Together campaign where we are now creating a lot of awareness. So it was was very difficult. And um, eventually um, the consultant had had talked to Sean and said, I think Helen needs to to do something other than be at home after having I was a, a very busy active citizen and so so then I went to an Alzheimer's and I had well I had this preconceived idea of what an Alzheimer's group was and to be honest it was just people a lot older than I was um, and uh, and a lot more advanced than I was so it was a difficult situation entering that building but the nurse was really kind and she suggested to me to get involved in research and shortly thereafter, I did get involved in research through Trinity College, Dublin, Professor Ian Robinson Murders. Doing, his team were doing some research with the Alzheimer's Society of Ireland, who have, were just starting up a group called the Irish Dementia Working Group. And that is, in a nutshell, what happened in the beginning. Mm. Was, it, was it easy? It wasn't easy, because I was, um, I was chair of the Western Development Commission. I'd been previous chair of the Chamber of Commerce. I was involved in all kinds of disability rights because I, was involved, because I was working in the disability sector. So everything was gone. So overnight, 
you know, all of those things are gone out of your life and you're left in total isolation other than with your other than with your family. And then I didn't want to talk about it. I really did not want to tell people because I knew the misunderstanding. And and so it's not just hard for it wasn't just hard for me, but it was exceptionally hard for Sean and Martin. And in particular Sean who was who was at home with me and and of course Martin was in London and like all parents you 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 try to hide. So um it was yeah, it was a difficult time and and then I in the past I'd always been um a believer in rights and the rights of all individuals. And so I realised myself one day that do you know what? My rights are being violated here. There's nothing for me. There's nowhere to go. Post diagnosis there was nowhere to go. There's nobody to talk to. And um it was a very, very uh, tough, sad, isolating time. But this energy that you have always had to be involved in things, to advance different causes, how were you able to redirect that eventually? I think when I when I got involved with research and I, I, I and the research was on cognitive behavioural therapy, that then I learned strategies. I learned how to get back into my life again. Okay, there was a lot of things that I had to change. You know, I had to label all the cupboards. I had to. Um, write notes at the door, turn out the light, turn have you turned off the cooker, you know, have you locked the door? There's, you know, all those things that you have to think about that you have to put in place. And then you have to tell people. And the earlier you tell people, the better. And I think that is one of the things that I learned from once I, I told people, I, it sort of empowered me to get back to being the fighter that I was. And uh, and and with the work of the Irish Dementia Working Group, which we were just being newly formed, and uh, and with that research, and uh, knowing that I was not alone, and that was the wonderful thing of being part of the of the Irish Dementia Working Group was just knowing that I was not alone, and um, and that I could go home, and I had seen people that were just getting on with their life and accepting accepting the illness, but it was harder for me because I was much younger <laughs> so um, mm-hmm. I but I, the fighting spirit came back this is not right this is not right we should not have to live like this we should not have to hide our illness why should we have to hide it why should we because um, there's a mental health connotation to it well that's that's okay there are people you know all the time that, that have that have various aspects of mental health so we shouldn't be treated any differently well, and, there was and somebody in my life who was very active until recently and very quickly had uh, dementia advance far quicker than we expected. And one of his big adjustments has been to try and find new things to enjoy. So you mentioned the newspaper, for instance. He was an avid reader, but he would start reading something and then realise halfway through that he'd forgotten how it began so he had to find interests other than reading what did you find that you enjoyed perhaps that you didn't try before well I never had a lot of time except at night time to read the papers but I did start that's a really good point because I did start to read the papers and I continually read the papers well my phone is full of apps for everything now from the New York Times to the Washington Post to the Times, the Independent, I read all of them. And I have to tell you, 
I read them at half seven in the morning. And by 10 o'clock, the majority of what I have read is gone off on its dementia world. And so uh, my friend Alzheimer's has stolen it. But what I, what, I, what I find useful is that we have strategies in place as to how to live well, okay, when we're diagnosed. Uh, and I have them for myself. You know, it's like walking the dog, reading the papers, doing things that you really like to do in your life. For once we're diagnosed, one of the messages that is not often out there is continue doing what you're doing. And if somebody had told me back in the day to continue being involved in, in some community group, which I, I walked away from everything. You know, today I am back with uh, what we call our our biggest summer festival, the Old Fair Day, mm. where they have invited me to be part of it, be, be back part of your community. You know, we want to be a diverse community. So if, if your friend played golf or if he was involved in some sport or he liked to cycle or he liked to walk, there's there are people out there that are volunteers that would be more than happy to accompany him uh, to do some of the things that he wanted to do. Maybe he could join a men's shed where he could, you know, maybe he'd never done anything. Yeah, no, we, we talked about that earlier in the week, actually. There's a fantastic movement of men's sheds right across the country, and you're absolutely correct. They would be, with open arms, willing to welcome, well, anybody, really. But I'm curious when you say that you walked away from your own community groups and interests. Was that your choice, or did you feel unwelcome? One, yes, I felt unwelcome. Absolutely, without question. I would have to say one, I felt very unwelcome. Uh, the others, you know, no. I mean, uh, that that was that was not true and people continued to stay in touch with me from several of the organisations I was involved with. And, 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 and that's nice. But I felt also, I cannot, I cannot contribute because there's so, there was such a misunderstanding and to some degree, I'm talking to you today to try and break that misunderstanding because you know, we can live a reasonable quality of life. For example, I drive. I take a driving test to ensure that I'm safe on the road. Uh, we have to get, make sure that we are safe and that we're safeguarded. But also to think that when somebody is diagnosed that they cannot continue doing the things they did, that is not, that is not right and is not fair. Because we are supposed to live in an inclusive community. It's almost 2022. We have rights under the UN Convention of the Rights of People with Disabilities. And, and we should be free to, with support, to do many of the things we did in the past. I was talking to um, a friend uh, a few months ago, and he was talking about his friend playing golf. And he said, his friend said to him, uh, oh, I, I'm... Ah, that's me. Don't bother calling for me now on Monday. I won't be able to. I'm not able to go any longer. And it was a group of of men that played golf. Mm. And they said, well, don't bother your head uh, with a few expletives telling us that. (laughs) Telling us that, you know, you are coming to play golf with us, you know, and we are going to continue to play golf until you can no longer hold that golf club. And that is how, that is what community is. And that is where we... We need support and we need understanding. And that was people understanding that, you know, we are going to support John to carry on playing golf because it's important that he does it. It was such a big factor in his life. And if we, our communities, help us to get on with our lives, you know, for example, when I go to the supermarket, there have been times in the past that I would have been known to have left my card on the machine. 
and then the supermarket inform you the card is in your machine. Well, maybe not in the beginning until I reminded them, you know, this is not good enough. You know, I have to be told. So um, so we work as, as advocates like me. We work very hard to ensure that um, there is a quality of life there for the next person that's diagnosed because we'll, it is not about a stigma. It is about misunderstanding our illness. I could never say that the town of where I live in, in Tubacari and Sligo, that people stigmatise me. Do people understand, misunderstand me? Yes. Mm. Did people walk across the road when I was diagnosed? And I'm sure I probably told you this last year. Yes, they did, because they didn't know what to say to me. Did Sean meet people downtown that said to him, Helen, uh, I saw Helen, she looks great, but I didn't know what to say to her. Yeah. You know, Helen, he said, I said to them, you know, what the hell do you think you should have said to her? Shouldn't you have said the same things you always say? Because <laughs> Helen is no different. She's the same person, but she may, she may not remember to come and tell me what you said, but she, you know, she would be able to have a conversation with you. So I think... Well, may we recommend as a resource then to anybody who struggles to find the vocabulary or indeed just wants to learn a little bit more, understandtogether.ie. It's a fantastic resource, uh, full of information from credited sources. So, Helen, I'm grateful for your time. We have to take the 10 o'clock news, but stay well. And I look forward to chatting again next year, please, God. And please uh, make sure that you give out the uh, helpline. Alzheimer's Society. I will, absolutely. Helen, have to take the news, but thank you very much for joining us this morning. Good morning. Happy Friday. Hope you've nice plans for the weekend. Weather-wise, what's in store? And will Metairn's new supercomputer that can do trillions of calculations, is it going to be more accurate than they have been in the past when it comes to forecasting. Also, the teenagers who founded a coding company and just sold it for 20 million quid. Yeah. Suddenly gives you an inferiority complex, doesn't it? Anyway, when you call today, the number is 0818 300 103. When you text, it's 083 30 10 103, powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. Now, let's bring you inside the Midlands Regional Hospital in Mullingar to get a sense of the various pressures the staff are facing, not just from COVID, but from the whole range of ailments they have to deal with. The emergency department especially busy at the hospital at the moment. Dr Murat Kirka is clinical director at the hospital in Mullingar. Murat, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Very well, thank you. Can you paint a picture of where the pressure points are, please? They were several pressure points unfortunately we have in the emergency department at the moment it is winter season as you all know and in the winter season cold and flu um, is on the rise anyway um, we have specific problems this year though um, the especially in the pediatric cohort the children are presenting much more frequently and in higher numbers with the respiratory virus um, which causes significant problems for our pediatric department and since our ED department is a combined pediatric and uh, adult department it puts pressure on the whole department as well. Um, we've, we've seen continued uh, rise in uh, presentation of patients uh, with um, chest infections, um, various other illnesses that we see in the whole general medicine and surgery as well and on top of that of course we still have the problem we have presentations with COVID and we have to look at them separately in separate areas. And so that's, that's, that's a continued 
continued problem unfortunately hasn't gone away and as we all see in the media the numbers are unfortunately rising and that has trickled down in um, into the hospital as well so when we see high uh, numbers of uh, infections in the community um, a certain percentage unfortunately still arise in the hospital and we have to look after them. And what's been the impact on staffing arising from those infections? I mean, we we see, unfortunately, our, our, our staff, uh, we, we have seen some of our staff um, as well um, uh, of being all sick. Um, I'll be quite honest, uh, it, this is the fourth wave of COVID now. Our staff is, is quite burnt out as well. I mean, they're they're doing tremendous work, I must say, but it's it's getting more and more difficult. We're working in very, very difficult circumstances. Our nursing staff has been has been heroic, I must say, at this stage. Um, but working in difficult uh, circumstances, and um, it's it's not easy. And we're we're trying to we're managing, but it is it is getting difficult. If we may come back to the children who are suffering respiratory infections, is that just COVID, or is there something else contributing to it? Is is not COVID at all? COVID is not a problem in the in the pediatric population. Like the children with COVID, they hardly get sick. So we we. I don't know, through the whole pandemic, we had single figures of, of children needing hospital care with COVID. No, it's it's our usual um, uh, respiratory um, uh, virus, unfortunately. We, we see that every year. Um, we have seen in other countries where the winter season had started earlier that they had seen increases in numbers. And unfortunately, we're seeing the same. We have the same experience here um, that the children are presenting um, in, in larger numbers than in previous years. And they can be quite sick, and, um, and that's that's causing a lot of uh, quite a, quite a challenge for the for the pediatric department. Combine this with the other presentations, it's it's quite challenging. So here's the difficult question to answer: If you're a parent and your child becomes unwell, knowing that the hospital is as busy as it is, and not wishing to add on Julie to that pressure. How do you decide whether it's serious enough to warrant a hospital visit? It, this is, yes, this is a difficult one. I do not want anybody to get the message that if you're unwell and you think you need to go to ED, not to come to ED. ED is open and we're looking after patients. And if somebody arrives very sick, this patient will be seen in a timely fashion. It will be seen urgently. That still does happen. If you come with something more minor or what is in the triage, means more minor, waiting time can be much more longer than, than it usually is. And if it's during the daytime and the child is not very sick, um, but you are concerned, please try and contact your GP first. Um, out of hours, you have also the possibility of contacting my doc, but I'm a, I'm a parent myself. It's your child. If your child is sick and you are worried and the only real fast option is to bring that child to ED, then by all means, we, we are open. We are open. I'm not, I do not want anybody to think that, that we cannot cope with, with the emergencies. We will, we will continue to do so. Is there any sign of this pressure abating? Not really. So far, it has, it has hit us a bit like a, like a wave. No, we, we can't say that, that it has happened so far. And um, we have to see what, what's going to happen in the next, in the coming weeks, unfortunately, the COVID numbers in the community, the infections are are rising. The incidence is rising, um, and uh, we don't really see um, see a break there. 
I am personally, I'm hoping that the booster uh, campaign that we have now for the over 60s, um, 80s, and also the healthcare uh, staff is, is getting boosted, that this might break the chain between high incidence and presentations to the hospital. Um, we will have to wait and see. We have good data. We've seen that it worked in Israel. So we, we hope that this will make a difference. And we're seeing also that um, the take-up of those who are not vaccinated, there are more people now um, coming to the vaccination centers, getting the first vaccine. And again, the message is really, if you get the vaccine offered, please do get the COVID vaccine, be it the first one or the booster. Um, that is the only thing that can uh, that can bring this through the winter and obviously um, adhere to the public health advice as well to restrict your um, contacts um, uh, to a certain extent. We will see how, how these things will develop um, in, the, in the coming weeks. And among the adult population, those who have been hospitalised as a result of COVID, do they share any characteristics? We do see it is, it is from our experience, um, the ones who get really sick and needing um, intensive care in the younger cohort are still the ones who are not vaccinated. So if you're not vaccinated, the message is quite clear. It is still a deadly disease. And being around so rampant all around us at the moment, um, there is no doubt that if you are not vaccinated, you will contract COVID at some stage. And just because it's here for, for now one and a half, almost two years, it has not lost its, um, its deathly potential. So we still see patients ending up in ICU and unfortunately dying in ICU. Um, in terms of the vaccinated ones, we see that uh, the, they have a much um, lesser um, severity in their presentation. So they might end up in hospital. They need some hospital care with oxygen and um, some supportive treatment. They generally do much, much better. So the vaccine does help. It may not prevent a breakthrough infection, as we call it, but what it does prevent is you from dying from it, and that's very, very important. A couple of final thoughts, because listeners are curious about, quote, normal injuries. So trauma, somebody falls off a ladder doing a botched DIY job or somebody has been out yeah. on a Saturday night and they've had a few too many and they fall. Is that still a feature of what you're seeing? Yeah, oh yeah, of course, of course. We, we have a minor injury unit. Um, so where we, where we look after these injuries, we do that. Um, major, more major injury is, is, is more looked after in Tullamore because that's, that's our trauma center. Um, but there are three still presentations here. Again, um, if it's something minor and you think you're in, it's a, it's a little, it's a cut or something that, that needs stitching, GPs and, and, and my doc can look after that as well. But of course, we, we continue to see that we have not, uh, we have not in any way reduced the services that we're offering. It's just for minor things. The waiting time can be much longer, unfortunately, because we're we're so, so under pressure with uh, with uh, children and adults being quite sick with respiratory problems. I appreciate your time. Understand the pressure you're under, and keep up the good work, Dr. Murat Kirka, Clinical Director of the Regional Hospital Mullingar. Thank you for taking our call. Thank you very much. Bye. Make it Athlone says, "Will you get the prize for the best question of the day?" What is the impact of COVID on the nighttime economy in Holland? He says, hello, the home of the red light district. What do you think is the effect of it? 
Well, I assume if the pubs and the restaurants have to close at seven o'clock in the evening, if they impose this lockdown light, then the red lights will have to be switched off as well. Uh, There are blue ones too, but let's not go there. If you were a teenager all over again, how would you do things differently? For instance, you're going to hear in half an hour how two guys founded a coding company and just sold it for 20 million quid. The mind boggles. On the subject of coding, a new multi-million euro supercomputer will soon be on its way to MetAaron. This is a device capable of performing 4,000 trillion calculations per second. Trying to get your head around that number. 4,000 trillion calculations per second. But will it be able to tell you if it's going to rain on Tuesday? That's the big question. Owen Moran is director of MetAaron. Owen, good morning. Good morning, Will. Thanks for having me on the show. Give us some idea of how this computer will work. Right then. Um, I think you've quite well explained there the amount of calculations that can can be conducted. Another way of thinking of it is if you combined the computing power, the processing power, as it were, of, of, of about 10,000 laptops, and a lot of us have laptops in our homes these days now, um, if you combine you still would not be exceeding the uh, computational power of this, of this computer. Um, the way they work is, it really kind of goes back to how the whole uh, international meteorological community works. Um, people aren't really aware of this. Um, I mean, every second of every day, every hour um, of every week um, around the world, um, meteorological um, Met services like MetAaron collect observations in an integrated way. And this is from weather satellites, from weather balloons, weather stations, and all that information is continuously communicated and gathered. And that allows us to figure out what's the current state of the atmosphere, okay? Then we gather all that information. We're talking about millions and millions of observations. This is happening every minute, every hour. And they, they get assimilated, uh, sucked into, basically, a big, giant supercomputer, which is capable of conducting the type of enormous amount of calculations uh, that are needed to process that data. And those observations go into what's called a mathematical model, which is a weather model. You might have heard that term. And what weather models do is they generate a virtual world, in a sense, that, sh- that depicts all the different elements of the atmosphere and the Earth system. And then we use that to scroll forward in time, as it were, to forecast what tomorrow is going to be like and the day after and so on and so forth. Um, so this is a bit like of, a brain and it has all of its senses through these various measurements that you take and it learns then as it goes along and much like we can, again, try and predict behaviour when we've seen certain things in the past, it tries and predicts the weather. Will that be a simplistic way of describing it? It's a very good assessment, Will. Um, what it is, is it's actually based on laws of physics. This is Science Week, OK? So thanks very much for having me on the show, by the way. It's a great opportunity to, to describe what goes on in weather models. So what we base our models are are what are called primitive equations. Um, and these are the basic laws of conservation of mass, conservation of momentum, and also a fundamental equation uh, called the Navier-Stokes equation. Um, and we can be proud of Stokes as an Anglo-Irish scientist who was fundamental in discovering this equation. This describes how um, the atmosphere moves and how it exchanges and how it heats up and, 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 and cools down and how it actually travels and at different scales and how weather systems revolve and de- develop and decay in the atmosphere. 
So we literally generate an equivalent, something that's very like the atmosphere, but it's actually just described mathematically. So um, that's, the, that's the approach that it's taken. Now, it's a brain in a sense, um, but we have to feed it with updated observations so we can, so can maximise the accuracy of the forecast. Um, so that means we run the model at a certain number of times per day. Okay, so at the moment, we run our weather model three times a day. But this new supercomputer, because it will have extra capacity, will allow us to run the model uh, every hour. So we're going to have three times more information. And, and does that mean it's be... going to be more accurate? Yes. Um, now, what will help with the accuracy is, um, is the resolution of the model. So you might remember in the old days when we were taking photographs, the first digital photographs, the pixels, you could see the pixels really if you zoomed in very quickly. So that's the resolution of a photograph. Um, and you have a very similar effect as well in weather models. Because what weather models do is they break the atmosphere up into cubes. Okay, so it's kind of like, uh, and the, 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 the size of those cubes um, is, 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 we describe that as the resolution. And that gives us the, the, uh, the definition that we can actually have of the kind of systems we're trying to describe. So at the moment, our weather models have a resolution of around 2.5 kilometers. So it's like you can imagine we break the atmosphere up into little boxes of 2.5 by 2.5 by 2.5 kilometers. With this model, we've had to move to sub-kilometrics below uh, one kilometer, which will allow us to resolve and describe the physics of thunderstorms and highly energetic systems in the atmosphere, which will reduce the uncertainty in forecasts and, or conversely, as you say, improve the accuracy of forecasts. I think you've got a supercomputer of your own there. That's very technical and well explained. So when will it go online and where will it be based? Very good. Um, the, we're just after signing the contract, really. So that's what we're doing this week, uh, Will. Um, I'm very glad to be doing that. Um, a company called Hewler Packard Enterprise um, uh, won the contract. Um, and, of course, the contract is a... We've got four parties in the contract. It's not just ourselves, it's ourselves and the Dutch Met Service, the Danish Met Service, and the Icelandic Met Service. Um, and they will be delivering it to where we'll be running it, which would be in Reykjavik, um, in the middle of the summer of 2022. Um, and at that point, we'll start the rigorous testing, loading on our mathematical models, um, making sure that everything's running properly, as it were, um, because we're going to become dependent on this type of equipment on a 24-7, 365 basis. So the intention is to have it fully operational uh, on the 1st of, or sorry, January 2023. Looking forward to seeing what it can do. Owen, thank you for your time. Thank you very much, Will. Owen Moran is director of Met Erin. Wish I hadn't done pass maths in school now. I wasn't able to keep up with half of that. But it sounds very impressive, doesn't it? Now, still to come on Midlands 103 this morning. We are well represented here in the Midlands when it comes to Last Singer Standing, the new talent show on RTE. We have, I think, three individuals from the region uh, who are through to the final. Also the founders of an Irish education technology company. They set it up as teenagers and they sold it for 20 million quid, which is an incredible achievement. How they manage that in around 15 minutes' time. Plus, the Friday panel shall be here 
to bring you through all the big stories of the last seven days. When people in the Midlands want to talk, they talk to Will Faulkner. Midlands 103. Except on Saturdays, of course, when they talk to Liam Dumpleton. So this time tomorrow, Liam, what have you got for us? Hi Will, yes, thanks very much. Uh, on the programme tomorrow I expect it'll be a busy one because we've got a literally a legend in local media live in studio, Seamus Duke, the one and only Dukey, and he launched his autobiography during the week actually on Thursday night, Dukey, The Game of Life and there's not a person this man hasn't met or interviewed. Uh, he's had a tremendous career in local broadcasting, local journalism with the Roscommon people. Uh, he's worked here, he's worked with our uh, neighbouring station, Shannon side. He's covered sport, current affairs, politics. Uh, he's, he's drank with George Best, uh, well, I hear about those stories, his love of the Rossies, and there's not a person across the spectrum, across the Midlands, and indeed, a lot of people in Ireland will know this man so well. So Seamus Duke, live on the, on the programme tomorrow, he sat where you're sitting, uh, he sat where I'm sitting, and it'll be a tremendous, I hope, success tomorrow. And if you want to talk to him, you want to call him on the programme, I'm sure we'll have many people, you can dial the number 0818 300 103. Nelly's on the phones, so live tomorrow morning on Saturday View, the one and only Seamus Duke. All right, thank you, Liam. Great to hear Seamus Duke back on air. 10 until 11 tomorrow with Liam Dumpleton. Now, oh, if you could rewind the clock and become a teenager, would you take an interest in coding, in programming? Because when you look at the likes of the Stripe boys, the Collison brothers, well, they've done so well for themselves, but perhaps it's time for them to move over as Dubliners... Andy Dalton and Evan Darcy are following hot on their heels. They've just sold their first start-up for 20 million quid. They'll share 10 million of that between them. Let's find out more about this. Andy O'Donoghue is our tech expert here on Midlands 103. You can follow his blogs at redcert.com. Morning, Andy. Morning, Will. It's a great story, isn't it? Isn't it just? The company is called Robotify. What does that mean? So Robotify, what they do is they teach you how to code, how to write computer software by programming virtual robots. And so they have this wonderful system. It's very engaging and um, very engaging and easy to kind of get into. Uh, works in a web browser, so it's very accessible. So, you know, no special equipment needed. You don't need the robot because you create a virtual robot. And um, it's been incredibly successful. And I suppose ultimately it's, um, it's allowed people to kind of dip their toe, allow youngsters mostly to dip their toe in, into computer programming. But it, it, it got attention really fast, Will. And so NASA, um, the space agency, and the European Space Agency, and Microsoft um, all uh, supported um, Robotify. And then, incredibly, um, Apple's original co-founder, Steve Wozniak, has a, has a, uh, a charity foundation called WozEd, and he's very keen on um, education and computer science. And he spoke at uh, the Lads Virtual Conference, uh, even, and supported it well. So it is a tremendous story for Ireland, and it is also a tremendous story, I think, for young entrepreneurs who can start company. They started this company, Will, while they were still at school and it's a tremendous payday for them but I'm sure they are very proud it's a great achievement Indeed well I can see the appeal uh, speaking as the father of a six year old and okay he mightn't be into coding mm. yet but certainly the notion of being able to program a virtual robot seeing it applied 
will appeal. So how do they make money, though? Where do we get a valuation of 20 million quid from? Oh, it's a great it's a great question. <laughs> and these days, technology valuations are um, not so much um, under the microscope, but I think they've been drawing gasps, um, particularly um, recently across Europe. Um, we used to hear about these big valuations in America, um, but uh, now we're seeing it in Europe as well. And, you know, this is the sort of company that um, with the acquisition, you know, it's it's what's called an ed tech, an educational technology company. And um, so it is the sort of company that could find its uh, its tools, its system, maybe even moving into school curriculums across Ireland or the world. Um, it has applications, I think, for um, for um, adult learning and uh, for people who want post-school qualifications. The, the reason that, say, if, if, if we look at an organization like Coder Dojo, which was started back in Cork um, years ago by James Welton, and their kind of mission from the start was that there isn't enough technical skills available. Now, we know this, Will. We hear this in this country. We know it's the same in the UK. It's the same in the European Union uh, throughout. There are not enough people leaving school who have the ability to go and to work for not only the big tech companies, but the small ones. So a company like Coda Dojo and Robotify, they answer that call that really probably should be the job or role of government and um, departments of education across Europe to ensure that people have the skills, not only to get on in life because we live in a digital world, but have the skills so that they can get better and rewarding jobs. Now, when you look at not just these guys, but people who have achieved such success early on, one of the top examples obviously would be Elon Musk. And he was involved, it was a financial tech company, I think it was XCOM was the name of it, way, way back in the 90s. Mm. And obviously more recently, SpaceX and Tesla, that's how he's made his multi-billion dollar fortune. The point is, he didn't just stop with one venture, he went on to do other things. I wonder, might these guys be the same? I think there's no doubt that they will, and um, they will go on to do something, and and I have no doubt achieve more. I think maybe because of their interest in education and because they started this company while they were at school, I think maybe we will probably, as a society, we will benefit from their work and from their smartness and from their ambition because something like Robotify, um, maybe for, um, maybe for, as I said, for adult learning um, and helping us to, uh, you know, extend the learning opportunities to people who left school maybe without a quali- without a, uh, a technical qualification or maybe left school early, that would be a tremendous benefit for society generally. Will they go on and start another great company and make a fortune again? They may well do. It doesn't always happen that way, though, Will. And, and we've seen companies that have been sold uh, in growth stages. The example that you mentioned of Elon Musk is a fascinating one, but Elon Musk is a very exceptional character. And... Um, and I'm not sure there's enough room in this world for more than one of them. Um, <laughs> no. um, but, you know, the example of the, of, of, of the Stripe uh, founders, the Collison brothers, interesting because they founded a company back in Limerick to deal with a problem that they had and um, which was um, handling uh, sales on eBay. 
And then they sold that, and uh, that was a few million euros or dollars that they uh, received for that. They moved to America. One of them pursued education, was went to university, dropped out after a while because they had encountered another problem um, of helping developers, helping coders, people who write software, get paid easily and implement payment systems. This is, I suppose, the secret about any young person starting a business. I would say don't be drawn like a moth to the light um, where you have media coverage of specific industries like crypto or artificial intelligence. Look around and what's what's gnawing at you? What can't you do? What can't you achieve technically um, or in science? And that's the sort of problem then that you need to look Indeed. at solving and, and in doing so, perhaps change the world and do well. Find the gap and fill it. And one motto I love, if you can see it, you can be it. And we certainly mm. have plenty of those examples in Ireland. Well described by Andy O'Donoghue. Thank you, Andy. Thanks, Will. Now, next, last singer standing. So, Tony Cunningham from Tullamore, he is through to the final and a leash lady will be joining him there. Look, credit where it is due to RTE. Sometimes they try new formats and it bombs, but, you know, you always have to be inventive and imaginative and creative. And Last Singer Standing is certainly a new take on the traditional talent show. And the Midlands has been very well represented. Uh, we've had a competitor from Leash, a competitor from Offaly, and again then last week, another from County Leash in the form of Rachel Farrell. Now, if you missed it, here's a flavour. Singing for the studio audience vote and for a spot in the final. Give it up for Rachel! <laughs> Certainly has the voice, and also away with the audience. Rachel, good morning. Well, how are you? Very well, thank you. How does it feel listening back to that? Were you happy with the performance? Oh, I was thrilled with the performance. I'm just happy I didn't fall on stage because I trip on thin air. <laughs> <laughs> that would be memorable. Myself, don't fall, don't fall, don't fall. No, I was delighted with how it went. Thank God. Um, I sang, just sang my heart out, really. I just said, this is the only opportunity like I'm, I might never get a chance like this again just leave everything on the floor and just yeah do your best so I was thrilled with how it went when somebody hearing that cold without knowing you will immediately pick up on the way you engaged the crowd at the start so there's experience there tell us a little bit about yourself okay so from a young age I um I I was I always loved to sing um I started off in um you know I was doing um uh, pantomimes and mock and pharma here in Mount Melick and I, I started doing um, you know Annie I was Annie um, we did uh, Jack and the Beanstalk I was Jack's mammy I started singing and I kind of that's when I kind of started realising I was quite good at singing and um, I went on then to you know I'd be out in the pubs and I'd be singing karaoke and everyone's like you know you have to sing get up and sing and it was only until I actually went for the Voice of Ireland in 2014 and um, now nobody turned around for me, but my part did get televised. And um, a band then approached me from Carlo 
they were looking for um, a girl to take over from um, the singer that they had. And she left, and then I, I took over with the band, and I'm still with them seven years later. So um, I've been gigging with them for all over the country for seven years, and I'm also with a six-piece wedding band. Um, and I've been with them for the last five years, so we, I'm, you know, I'm on stage with them all over. So you're all over you're well, well polished at this stage. You're a yeah, pro. You're well used to. Well polished now. So, well polished. At the same time, we all have to have our big, hairy, audacious goal and a dream. So <laughs> that's why you're in this competition. What would you love to end up doing? Well, I mean, ideally, I'd love to. Like, I love what I'm doing. I love what I'm doing now. Um, I'm getting to sing and that's my passion so I, I don't see it as work at all you know but um, I would love to do more work on telly would be great um, you know anything at all really um, yeah that, that that would be nice to do more work maybe with RTE that would be nice Well how did this experience prepare you for for the future because this is a format where it's more unpredictable than any other talent show I've seen. You really have to think on your feet. You have to be familiar with material that perhaps uh, you haven't seen before. So talk to us about the nerves and managing that. It was, yeah, it, it, it was a little bit nerve wracking knowing that any song could pop up. So you really did have to prepare yourself on um, on a lot of different songs it kind of shows off your versatility as a singer, you know. Um, if, if you're given a song and, and you know what that song is, you've time to rehearse it, you've time to, you know, um, go over it and you'll have it ready, you'll have it prepared. But when something drops up in front of you and you literally have a few seconds to to sing it, you know, you have to be prepared. So um, I get the feeling yeah, you've it, belted it out Dancing reckon. Queen before. Yeah, look, I I was lucky. You know, the first song, the first song I've I've known, I've never sang the first song with Show Me Love. I've never actually sang that before, even in karaoke. But I know the song. It's one of my favourite dance songs. So I knew it. But Dancing Queen, I've, yeah, I've, I've belted that out a few times with them. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> a few vodkas in me. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. what would be, and I don't want to obviously give uh, RT any clues here, but what would be your worst nightmare if it came up on that screen? What song? I would, I'd probably have to say something like, oh, Whitney Houston song or Mariah Carey, something that probably would be a little bit higher than my range. I've, I've got quite a high range, but taking on a Whitney Houston song, yeah, I was scared of the bejesus out of me. Ah, you'd manage. I would have been, I would, have, I would, I would have been terrified. I would have given it my best shot, but yeah, it would have, um, it, it would be nerve wracking because it's different when you're up there. You know, I could probably belt it out at home in my in my bedroom and I'd be fine, but. Then when you're up there with, you know, the lights and the cameras and the three judges are are there listening, it's different. You do you, your voice does kind of start to shake a little bit, and you do get nervous. So it's only normal, it's only natural, really. And but, if yeah, it was, was Mariah's "All I Want for Christmas," I'm thinking of the season now. Would you manage? Silly season is, is 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 about to kick off, so I'm going to have to I'm going to have to polish that one you up. Yeah, better, but, yeah. But yeah, I would have, I would have, I would have given it my best shot. Yeah. When are we going to yeah, see I you on I'm telly gonna... again, Rachel? So I am not. I won't be appearing on the TV again until December the 11th for the actual final. Which is two weeks before Christmas. So yes, those festive songs they'll uh, have to be polished off, and I'm sure you'll do a great mm-hmm. job on them. The very best of luck. Thank you so much. Thanks a million for having me. And if anybody wants to follow, whether it's the wedding band or any of your other activities, how can you be found online? Yes. 
also um, the 60s wedding band is called the Bratz Band. It's B-R-A-T-Z. And then I'm also in a four-piece rock band called uh, from Carlo called Monroe. Keep belting out the tunes, Rachel. We'll chat again. Take care. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Rachel Farrell from Mount Mellick in County Leash through to the final alongside Tony Cunningham. Tony is living in Galway these days, but he's very well known in Tullamore. Now, latest news on the way at 11. And sport as well. And then the Friday panel shall take you through some of the strange and unusual stories of the last seven days. Plenty of laughs, plenty of serious talk. A right mix guaranteed from 20 past 11. You know when you haven't seen somebody in ages and you don't recognise them? Well, early warning when it comes to these next two ladies. They've lost 16 stone between them. So when you next bump into Mary Connolly or her daughter Emma, get ready for a surprise. This is a huge achievement. 16 stone, that's like losing one Faulkner. Uh, yeah. Not, not a nice image. Mary, good morning. And Emma, how are you? Good morning. I'm grand, thanks. Yeah. So how did this start, Mary? Why did you decide at... Uh, we won't say what age you were, but why did you decide now was the time to lose the weight? Well, originally, um, my son was getting married in June of last year. So it was Emma I was more concerned about because her weight had kind of gone really bad it was affecting her health but it was just when I looked at photographs of myself I've seen that I was obese as well you know and we said we'd lose the weight for his wedding but as it stands he hasn't got married yet because of the pandemic so that's on hold until June next year but that'll keep you going that'll just reinforce what you've done so far yeah 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 as I said Emma was kind of Emma um, you know she has issues and her weight was really bad and she was told she was pre-diabetic and stuff like that so I said that's it I said we'll start together because I was going to try and help her if you know what I mean along the way but I started myself so I was losing weight pretty quick in the beginning and then and I realized I was losing a stone each time it was kind of I was feeling better and better in myself you know and so was Emma so I was kind of delighted for her as well so I've, I haven't been this weight now in over 30 years, you know, because I had kids and I might lose a stone in the past, but then I'd gain it back, could gain an extra stone on top of that. Yeah, but they call time, that the yo-yo diet, don't they? Yeah, yeah. But it was just this time we had a mindset and that was it. So we, we've achieved that so far, you know. Emma, you've lost 10 stones. So first of all, a huge congratulations. But how do you feel now compared to before? Well, I can walk now, whereas before I couldn't, because like if before I decided, I would walk as far as the corner and I get turpin back, whereas now we can walk six miles a day. And do you do that every day? Well, most days, it all depends on the weather, and I'm like, you know, it all depends on how the weather is and stuff, so if it's kind of raining, we'll do a smaller walk, but if it's not raining, we'll do six miles. <laughs> I'm looking out the window at the moment, are you going to walk far today? We're going to go into town now just to have a look around and see how the weather is then. Exactly. <laughs> have a brolly with you. How has your diet changed, Emma? Well, I used to eat like a lot of rubbish now. Like I'd eat chicken for breakfast, lunch and dinner and I'd have a lot of sweets in the evening. Whereas now I'm eating uh, vegetables and fruit and salads, whereas before I wouldn't. 
And at first, did you have withdrawal? Did you miss the treats? I did miss the treats at first, and I kind of like at, at first I didn't. I was like, this is not going to work, and you know, I so I didn't think it was going to work. But then as the weight kept falling off, I thought I am I can do this. So did you notice it more on the clothes you were wearing rather than the number on the scales? I noticed it more when I was able to walk further because obviously the first time I walked, I had turned pain back. But as I lost the weight, I could walk further. So that's how I know it. Mary, it's not a magic recipe here. It's not like you did the Atkins diet or some other fad diet. It seems you just cut out rubbish, to put it simply. Yeah, definitely, yeah. It was the rubbish. Uh, you know, I wouldn't, if I was in the evening time sitting down and having a cup of tea, I wouldn't just eat, say, two biscuits. You'd keep eating and eating until the pack was gone. So, you know, and it was ridiculous, really, because I'm I'm not that tall of a person. And I was 15 and a half stone starting out. And it's just when I seen photographs that I seen, oh, my God, you know, I, I was obese, but at that time, people said they didn't notice because they knew me like that, you know what I mean? So to them, they didn't notice me weight. It's just the photographs I've seen. That. I said, this is it, you know. So how do people react now it. when they meet you if they haven't seen you in a while? Um, well, you see, sometimes it's difficult because when you're wearing a mask as well, so that kind of, you know, people might notice, but... We've got great help throughout because in the beginning of the pandemic, when the lockdown was on, we'd be walking the streets and that, and everybody was shouting across, well done women, and, you know, it was kind of, they all knew us, so it was nice to be hearing, you know, that that was nice to hear as well because it gives you a bit of a boost in, of in your life, you know. Absolutely. You know. Well deserved. Yeah. How has it helped yeah. your confidence, Emma? It has helped a lot now. Like where I, I wouldn't be like when I was wearing clothes before this, I'd wear baggy clothes just to hide, you know, the weight and all that. But where now I wear tighter clothes, and I don't mind. Like I can shop anywhere now. Well, that's great freedom as well, having a nice choice. So yeah. the question, I suppose, that everybody wants to know is, how did you keep it up? Because we can all make progress in the beginning and then fall off the wagon and back into old habits. So Emma, what kept you going? You know, seeing the results, like, and being seen, you know, the clothes being able to fit me now, smaller clothes, like, whereas before I couldn't do that, and, like, walking now without him back, and that really helped. And Mary, what keeps you on the straight and narrow? Um, well, I, I've achieved this in, in my life, and, and, like, I've done it for nobody, I've done it for myself, and I'm at, uh, you know, together. So it's, it's nice to be able to, like, it's just sometimes, though, and people say to me, you've enough lost and stuff. Sometimes I can't see that in myself. But when I tried smaller clothes on and they fit me, I said to me, oh, my God, I can't believe I fit I fit into this. Do you know? And that's keeping me that I'll never go back and get to the bad mm. bad way again because it's so easy, as you said, to get bad habits again. So we just limit our, like, we have a treat once a week, you know, uh, get some chips and stuff like that just to because you, you can't just keep going seven days a week you have to have something that you have to look forward to you know but it's nice to be hearing people saying positive things about you you know and it's just good it's just good Emma you know? are, are you content that you've lost enough weight or do you plan to keep going? 
I plan to lose another two stone or so, or so. So keeping up the good habits, keeping up the exercise. I hope the sun shines and you get to go for a long walk. Ladies, well done. And thank you very much for sharing your story with us. Thank you. Thank you. Mary and Emma Connolly from Tullamore. Mum and daughter. Between them, they have lost 16 stone. John in Portlaoise praising Rachel, who was with us earlier from Mount Melick, through on the last singer standing, Rachel Farrell, is a lovely girl, he says, on and off stage, pleasant in every way. Uh, Will, don't forget Elon Musk's success is based on his parents owning an emerald mine in apartheid South Africa. That's from Hilda. Will, also, can you please give a big shout out and well done to Frank and all the team in Peavoys who have opened their second coffee shop today in Clonisley. Best wishes to them coming in on text. Uh, Will, the joints that the TDs received in the post, is that a reference to stoners saying, if you don't walk on the grass, you can smoke it? Hmm. I think it's somewhat ironic that the Green Party TDs received the majority of the cannabis that was posted to Leinster House. Oh, and a final message. This is from Liz. Maybe you can help her. She lost her purse in Dunn Stores in Mullingar. Now, we're going back a while, the 28th of October. She said somebody found it, left it into Dunn Stores, and she would like to thank whoever that person is. So if you know who it was, the honest good Samaritan, please give them a pat on the back. Thank you, Liz. Now let's meet our Friday panel. First off, Noelle O'Donoghue from Noelle Interiors in Tullamore. Hello. Hi, Will. Well, not Tullamore anymore. We're moving. Oh? Yes. We're, to where? We're um, going out to the showrooms um, beside our workroom where we make all the curtains out in Dangan. So um, people can find me out there now instead. Excellent. Okay, so you're in transit. In transit. (laughs) How's business? Interior decorating still as popular as ever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, obviously everybody's still into their houses and everything. So, you know, it's been good. It's been very good. Yeah. Long may that continue. Let's say good morning as well to Porrick Sullivan from Road in County Offaly, mockmedia.ie. How are you, sir? Actually, Porrick, his mic is off for some reason. This is the beauty of Zoom. If you can turn on that Mike Porrick, that would be fantabulous. Uh, but I think we have Pauline Flanagan as well. She's a lecturer in IT Carlo, well known in Port Leash as well. How are you, Pauline? I'm very well, Will. Good morning. So you are, a, I believe, going to become a technological university in the near future. It's kind of a case of welcome to the club. There are quite a few of them popping up now. What difference will that make to you? It's very exciting. You know, I've just come out of classes actually this morning and apart from anything, I keep thinking, God, I haven't seen news this morning now, but I hope we don't go back to doing um, Zoom because it's so fantastic to be with the students. But anyway, in in relation to the Technological University, 1st of January 2022, is my understanding anyhow, that that's when IT Carlo and Waterford IT merged to become a technological university of the Southeast. Very, very exciting. I mean, it will mean, I suppose, for students, number one, that they will be getting university degrees. And um, the criteria for entry and becoming a university have been very rigorous. 
So not least the amount of us that have PhDs and the amount of research we're doing. So it's exciting, but I hope that the, the kernel of what we do will never change as in uh, facilitate learning um, in, in classes where they're about maybe max 30. I, I'll dread it if we have 200 in a room because one of the key USPs I think that we have in IT Carlo as a unique selling point are that we really get to know our students you know, and you have an you have the gallery and the crack with them and encourage learning, but in a real um, informal environment. You know, they don't call me Dr. Pauline or Dr. Professor or whatever. It doesn't matter. It's all about um, encouraging yes. them to, to you, become curious in life. You, you know? do realise that for the rest of our conversation now, I'm going to refer to you as Dr. Pauline, just because you've positioned that with me. You can. And... Yeah, and, and bow every time you say oh, it, if absolutely. you don't mind yeah. as well. Trust yeah. me, I'm doing that on the air, absolutely. <laughs> Porrick Sullivan <laughs> is with us as well from Road in County Offaly, well-known footballer, and he runs mockmedia.ie. What is mockmedia.ie, Porrick? Good morning. Uh, good morning, Well, um, Essentially, mockmedia is um, a service where we provide promotional videos for companies, for products. Uh, we do some corporate events, uh, sporting events, so... Um, we, 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 I think we're kind of a, a one-stop shop for all your kind of media needs in terms of uh, a, lot, a lot of companies these days feel the need to have a presence online and to, uh, to, to profile any, any, any major events or stuff like that. So we provide those services and uh, it, it's, it's going great. Um, uh, since August this year, it's really picked up uh, with the pandemic kind of loosening loosen the bit. So... Uh, yeah, well, look, they're, onwards they're, and upwards and continued success. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. One of the stories, uh, just to kick off the week, we heard that the hospitality industry was getting a rap on the knuckles. The HSE had sent out its inspectors. To be fair, the vast majority, more than 60%, were compliant in full with the rules, but there were some not completely up to scratch and 7% were non-compliant totally. What's been your experience, Noelle? Have you been out whining and dining and have you felt safe? Um, well, yeah, I have felt safe and I've just been delighted to be out. Um, but I have been in plenty of places where nobody asked me for a COVID cert, um, which probably I should have questioned really because it's not I didn't feel particularly unsafe or anything. But when you think about it, that meant that there was other people probably in the restaurant that weren't um vaccinated or maybe anyway so given the numbers the way they're gone maybe we should be more diligent or it's not maybe we should be yeah the the covid certificate scheme in ireland is somewhat unique because in other european countries and we were talking to a gentleman in holland just two hours ago they also have a, a facility where if you test negative then you get your COVID pass. And there are some who would argue, actually, I'd feel more comfortable around somebody with a negative test than somebody who's vaccinated because you could still pass on the disease if you're vaccinated. How do you feel when you go out, Pauline? Yeah, I've been great. And like Noelle, delighted to be out and about. Um, I do feel, though, you know the way they called, the Restaurant Industry Association called them, anyone that isn't compliant, really, they need to close down. I think that's a step too far, to be honest. Because there are certain reasons, maybe maybe they're under-resourced, understaffed, and they're doing the best that they can. And you know what? At the end of the day, if someone feels unsafe or they feel um, 
uh, a bit worried about it, stay at home. There's an element to me that like have personal responsibility in relation to these things. And of course, I don't want to see establishments being irresponsible in relation to it. And to be honest, I don't think they are. Even if people, for some reason, haven't been able to check my COVID pass as I go in um, to an area, uh, it's been always very safe inside, well spaced out and well organised. And, you know, like, what was it? I think it was a 2,270 premises were checked. 70% of them were compliant. And people are worried. Look at just, as I say, take the personal responsibility and stay at home. Porik, how rigorous have you found the checks to be? Well, I was only out for dinner last Saturday in a, in a restaurant in Tullamore. And um, as, as we walked in, myself and my partner were both checked. And I was sitting at a seat where... Uh, I was visible to see everyone that was coming in, and it was rigorously checked. I think, I think, given given I, I, the hospitalities, um, they were screaming and shouting to 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 get this things moving and, and get mm. operational. I, I think it's it, it should be it should be enforced, and maybe to a point where you get a strike, you get a couple of strikes, uh, like maybe a one strike, a yellow card and a red card, not necessarily those things, but if if, if, a, if an establishment was seen to be non-compliant over a course of a week or a month, you know, they, they have to they have to own up and say, listen, we have a responsibility here. Our doors are open on the, on the, on the, on the pretense that we comply with these things, and uh, if it's, if it's happening on a regular occasion, I think something has to be done about Another COVID development this week. On Monday, the United States relaxed its travel restrictions for the first time in a year and a half. Dublin Airport expected that 10,000 people would fly from there to the US in the space of the first week. Have you booked yet, Noel, or are you going anywhere? <laughs> US or elsewhere? Uh, no, well, I'm not going anywhere. I did enough flying over the years that couldn't give a fiddlers now, unless it's got a golf course, not interested. <laughs> there are some people just itching to get away, even to Portugal, to Albufeira, lovely golf courses there. I, I'm sure there is, Will, but it won't be for me at the moment anyway. Pauline, have you booked your ticket uh, No, I haven't. I believe, actually, the flights are gone way up in price since because the demand is so high. Look at Bon Voyage to all those heading off to the States. And if you don't mind, will you please not bring back anything to us that we don't want? That's all I'd say in relation to it. Well, you know? apparently we chatted to Jackie from JK Travel in Tullamore earlier. Lots of people planning their New York shopping trips. We're back to the Celtic Tiger, if she's to be believed. Porik, are you one of them? I am indeed, yeah. I suppose there's always one, isn't it? Uh, I'm, I'm heading off to Hawaii and on Stevens' day for a couple of weeks. Mm, uh, lovely. So, so look... Uh, I'm still trying to squeeze every last drop out of the, uh, my youth before I, I, I settle down and have kids. So I think it, uh, I've gone away the last couple of years um, at Christmas time. So it's just a part of the year where I find I can get a space to have a, a two-week block of leave uh, uninterrupted. In, in, in so I look, I, I, I looking at the, the numbers in the States, there's 100,000 um uh, negative yesterday, so fifty-six uh, percent of the population have been vaccinated. But I suppose, like, you have to be careful. You have to take the measurements and the precautions, and like, you can't be locked up and, and not have a sense of adventure and travel due to to, to these things. I think Netflix, uh the government, uh, the U.S. government have have deemed it safe to do so. So I, I think if you're if you're following the guidelines 
and you're reasonably responsible, then you, you can you can travel. I'm curious though, Hawaii. It's a bit like the Canary Islands with American <laughs> yeah. accents and dollars. Why do you want to go there? I don't, I don't know. It's just some some something that I had in my head for for the last. I, I kind of I, I've been to the last couple of years. I've been to South Africa and Bali and, and Australia. So somewhere with a bit of heat, guaranteed heat, and a sense of adventure. Um, it just it just has that kind of like a magical aspect to it. That maybe I, I, I'm going to go over and be very disappointed, but. Um, it's more for me. It's, the, it's the, the anticipation of going and again in heat and killing. Or I, I, that's, that's and are you going to wear the floral necklace when you get there? With the locals, they'll do whatever it takes to see the party all set up. Enjoy. Meanwhile, yeah. Me, meanwhile, Porig be thinking of all of us probably jumping into the cash holes or whatever and saying Stephen stayed for our annual swim. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, yeah. I, I, I'd be in transit at that stage, but I'd be, I'd be thinking of you. Yeah, have a cocktail on us. Yeah. <laughs> Jealous.com here. That's right, panel. Porrick Sullivan of mockmedia.ie. Pauline Flanagan, lecturer in IT Carlo. Noel O'Donoghue of Noel Interiors in Dangan. A lot of people are calling to say they've booked their holiday, not necessarily to the United States, but looking out the window on a day like this around the Midlands. Much as we like our home soil, it is grey and... The Costas sound pretty attractive, or the Canaries, or even Hawaii, or... Well, how about Vienna, actually? Vienna was in the news this week, just to conclude on COVID-19, because they are offering gentlemen customers 30 minutes with a lady of their choice in a uh, you-know-where in exchange for getting the coronavirus jab. I presume this isn't happening in uh, Hawaii, is it, Porik? Uh, I, I well, I'm doubly vaccinated anyway, so I won't be. I won't have any concerns about that. Oh, you're it's, not going for your booster ve- jab then? No, 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 no. <laughs> I think I'm okay. I th- this is a this is a very bizarre story. I think it's um, probably just a ploy to for advertisement for for this centre. But it's extra. I've I've it's astonishing the things that the people will come out with and businesses will come out with to to raise a bit of a attention. Really, isn't it? Yes, marketing yeah. uh, being your background, Pauline. How would you rate this as a campaign? Yeah, I'd I'd agree with Porik. I mean, it's a classic publicity stunt, isn't it? And also distasteful. I just feel as um, I suppose a modern day female in today's world, I feel for these women. Um, but like, I mean, the, when you think of the um, I suppose the enticements that are being given normally, like your free beer, your club membership. But been offered thirty minutes in a brothel. I mean, it beats Bannerher, doesn't it? Um, and you know, sixty-four percent of the country in Austria are vaccinated now. I was intrigued though that there was a guy called Gerard who was going in. I just hope that my husband Gerard is at home and not in Vienna <laughs> as we speak. He shall have questions <laughs> to answer. Yes, let's move swiftly on then, for his sake and that of others. Um, and a theme emerging, actually, around abuse. Two stories, one from the Journal on Tuesday, in which the Justice Minister Helen McEntee admitted, even as Justice Minister, she sometimes feels unsafe as a politician. And the Justice Minister, as people in Port Leash will be uh, familiar with, uh, Charlie Flanagan was in that role for many years. There's a, a Garda stationed at the House. It's one of those ministries that still commands the Garda driver. So... 
of any politician they should see, feel safer than most. But another story relating to abuse, this time of referees. And it's so bad in soccer that many referees are threatening to withdraw their services unless there's proper enforcement of discipline. And the rules are already there under the code of the FAI, but they say some leagues apply soft discipline. Now, you've obviously yeah. vast GAA experience, Porrick, and sometimes referees make bad calls. Let's, I suppose, call a spade a spade too, but... How do you express your frustrations without crossing a line? I think I think referees can be condemned for maybe decisions that they they place in the game, and but, but nothing nothing ever warrants this level of of behaviour. And I, I think I seen a, a GA related match, an under fifteen game down in Wicklow recently. It was a final where there was absolute anarchy after the game. There was parents, uh, kids fighting. Uh, a woman had captured a, the, the video on her phone. It's about 50 seconds of a clip. But it's it's something like you would you, you think you'd see in Harlem. It's It was just bonkers what was going on. And to see both children and adults behaving in that manner, um, it, it, it's, it just shows you what can happen. Um, like re- referees are, are people that are sometimes unpaid or paid a small fee for the travel costs to go to a venue you know and a lot of them have a, a huge love of the game and you know at the end of the day they're they're human beings uh, that make mistakes and for people to 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 act in this way is 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 really 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 is it's sinister and 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 uh, it's disturbing in my eyes I think we have to, yeah. in, in media as well, make sure that when a sanction is applied and when there's follow-up, that it gets the same degree of publicity as the initial incident itself. Or otherwise you get this impression that there's impunity and there's never any follow-through. Now, Noel, coming to mm. the political story, and I know you've you've had some interest in politics in the past, would this put you off? Um, yeah, well, I mean, I think that the whole, it's just a complete lack of respect. Um, there's just this um, idea out there that people can say and do what they like either on social media or on the side of a football pitch or outside somebody's private home. I think it's totally unacceptable and I I actually do think, you see, what they're trying to do is to try and influence that person's decision and that person's decision has to be um, you know, complete and albeit maybe sometimes it's not completely correct but there's other ways of of dealing with that. Um, but like there should be a complete zero tolerance of all of that. I mean, in fairness, the Nazis in Germany, that's how they influenced, um, you know, the rise of Nazism. And and it was all um, that sinister intimidation. And OK, so maybe on the sideline of a pitch, it's a different kind of intimidation and maybe not quite as serious as in the political world. But I just, you know, even on the trains that we're talking about, like we're going to have to um, police the trains. People just think they can do with the like. And it's a small minority of people. And I think it should be a completely clamped down, a zero tolerance. Um, and yeah. I, but for I would, democracy, you have to be careful as well, clamping down on protest. You know, freedom of speech is different than disrespect. 
And I think outside somebody's home protesting is a complete disrespect. That's intimidation because those people have private lives with families and everything else that have nothing got to do with their job. So if I have a problem with, um, you know, Facebook, I'm not going to go stand outside that person's house that's just working in Facebook. Obviously, I lobby Facebook. So if they want to stand outside the doll and um, protest their argument, whatever, Mm. that's absolutely, totally acceptable. Place of work then, as opposed to place of residence. Your private home is your private home. And like that, yeah. the referee is the same thing. <clears throat> that referee is doing a voluntary job. Um, maybe they don't disagree, agree with all of his decisions, but you cannot carry on like that. Pauline, just to bring you in, and like for those we, who don't know, you've mm. been a member of Leash County Council. You had your name on a ticket for a general election. What's been your experience of this? Yes, and I hope to again as well soon. I'd be um, very ambitious in that form a forum as well. In years to come, um, never. I, I mean, unsafe. No, I mean, definitely people coming and calling to your door. I remember someone calling on New Year's Day looking for a house, and I thought, my goodness me, this is a different world now. But you know, it's not just politicians. We do have the likes of Joe Duffy. Seemingly, he's been um, uh, doorstepped and and feeling unsafe, really, as well. We had obviously the horrible story of Sir David Amos, the UK politician who was stabbed to death. So it is quite serious. But I want to come back to the sport for a second. Because if you think, Will, this weekend is so exciting. Tomorrow, obviously, we've got loads of people in Leash Rugby Club and everyone around Ireland looking forward to the Ireland-New Zealand match tomorrow. Really exciting. And then on Sunday, very, very exciting, more closer to home. As we know, big shout out to all those in Leash. We have a massive county football final with Leash playing Port Arlington. Um, and like, can you imagine referees being mistreated in those or even at last night's soccer match where we could argue the referee made a wrong decision? But we we have to be very careful. It's a sad day when you see North Dublin, um, the NDSL, isn't it? And the MGL, the Metropolitan Girls League, um, really all the referees, they're refusing point blank. They cannot get referees anymore. It's, it's a sad day for for sport, when you see how uplifting sport can be for a country and a community, you know. On our Friday panel, Pauline Flanagan, a lecturer in IT Carlo. Also, Porrick Sullivan of mockmedia.ie, well-known footballer in County Offaly, and Noel O'Donoghue of Noel Interiors in Dangan. Now, the HSE's Dementia Understand Together campaign is reminding you that half a million Irish people and their families have been affected by dementia and it aims to create an Ireland that embraces and includes and displays solidarity with these people. So to change negative public perceptions and stigmas which can isolate people with dementia and cause them to withdraw, let's combat that by taking just a moment to find out more about the things we can do as individuals and communities to support people and families who are living with dementia. When it comes to supporting people living with dementia, you might ask, is there something I can do? The answer is actually more than you think. Nine in 10 of us believe people living with dementia have the right to be active citizens in their communities, but sometimes they need support to stay connected and engaged. It starts with understanding that everyone with dementia has a different experience. So talk to them and their family. Ask them how they are and how you can help. Look around your community. Is your social or sports club welcoming people with dementia? Is your shop accessible? And are spaces and amenities easy to use? 
It is often the small things that make the biggest difference. By being that one person who asks, what can I do? You're making that difference. Free phone 1-800-341-341 or visit understandtogether.ie. From the HSE, in partnership with the Alzheimer's Society of Ireland and Age Friendly Ireland. A survey in the UK shows 4,000 adults um, took part and 9 out of 10 regarded their non-essential lockdown treats as regretful. And a similar exercise was carried out here in Ireland by uh, the Irish Times during the week. And they discovered again there was huge buyer's remorse on things such as hot tubs and camper vans. Now, you're an interior decorator, Noel. You must have come across many an item that overstayed its welcome rather quickly. Um, well, I we used to have a caravan for years and I absolutely loved it. And I would like a camper van. I didn't get it through lockdown. I got a bar instead. So, As um, many people did. Did you get the full kit and caboodle? We did. We kind of got a present of it and we built then a bar to go with it. It's become my, the favourite room in my house. So if I was <laughs> going to put the red button, it would be down there. Um, we also managed to acquire um, four hens. I think they were more disappointed than we are because we've only one left. Um, oh, dear. They weren't let in the bar, were they? They, they were. <laughs> they used to go everywhere. That's the problem. <clears throat> That's why there's only one left. Um do you uh, still use the bar now that the pubs are open again? Not as much, no, no. Um, is it a regret? Absolutely not. It was a space that we never used at all. I just, we, we put a roof on it. It's still outside, but we put a roof on it. And um, it's just a fabulous space. In the summertime, it was great. You could have a barbecue anytime you want, and it didn't matter um, about the weather. So one thing that the lockdown really has taught us all is that, like, we really can use the outside an awful lot more. And yeah, I'm not sure outdoor dining is going to have huge business today now. Well, no, but obviously in the winter time <laughs> it's going to be different. Porrick, did you <laughs> indulge? We did, yeah. We we um, in February we bought a Labrador pup. Um, I suppose to kill the the tedious nature of the, of the lockdowns, and we 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 thought it would be um, a great asset to to the family and to you know uh, give us a bit of impotence and going out walking and, and getting out exercising and having a, a, a different energy to the to the house and it, it, look he's he's nearly a year old now and I suppose it was a it was a breath of fresh air and, and um, having that added responsibility at times when you're when you're working full time uh, and he's looking to be walked whatever is is it was a little bit difficult but you know you wouldn't change it for the world I, I I've heard you know, of, of uh, shelters having a huge numbers of, of dogs uh, given back. And that it, 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 it turns my stomach, to be honest, because uh, a dog is more than just a pet or something that you look at in the even time. It's 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 part of the family. For, for that's That would be my uh, sitting on it. Uh, but well, a real positive uh, indulgence in, 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 uh, in, in lockdown was, was, was Brodie. Well, not something you regret, which is great. <laughs> Some people don't do their homework, though, and a Labrador... We have a chocolate lab, for instance, and the energy the guy has has to be mm. expended through the day. So, yes, he needs attention and God, he needs food as well. He never stops. And the hair is what the hair as well is. is the hair is is my biggest pet peeve. But, um, but you know, you, you're constantly hoovering and sweeping and that. And, and he comes in then and just he shakes off and the place is destroyed again. But look, he, you only have to turn around and look at him and then 
he, he that that kind of frustration melts away. So um, he doesn't by any chance that, break into the bins and spread rubbish all over the place, does he? No, we we actually got him trained. We we went to a guy in Blue Ball outside Blue Ball, and we got him trained for ten weeks. The two of us, you know, Siobhan, my partner, she went to the majority of the sessions. I went to like three or four out of ten, and I just noticed his behaviour and everything about him was was a lot better after going to the training. I certainly I would would promote that that element of, of um, training on a dog because you just get the most out of him. He's very attentive and he's he's good around other dogs and he's good in public places and stuff like that. So it was well worth the investment of the training. Does that guy do kids as well? <laughs> and, 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 and husbands. <laughs> He'll be in demand then. Pauline, did you uh, buy a hot tub? Are you out in the backyard in Port Leash often? No, we've no room for a hot tub or a camper van. I'm glad to say now, by sound this stage. No, the only purchase I wish I hadn't made was the COVID stone, and it's slowly but surely weaning off me. Thanks to mothers and others, we go on our training every week. But um, like uh, you know, I I wish I'd bought chairs in Zoom or a toilet paper factory or PPE or something <laughs> like that. That's what I wish I'd done during lockdown. Uh, but, I, you know, there is theory behind this, though. The companies knew when we were all sitting at home. It's called emotional spending. That uh, Apart from anything, people wanted to hear the doorbell ringing. They wanted to go out and say hello to someone when they were delivering. So people were buying frivolous stuff such as robot hoovers and home gym equipment. I don't think a now robot ha- hoover is frivolous. On them. Hang on, a robot <laughs> hoover is a convenience. Oh, you have to put all the chairs off floor on top of tables and everything to get the hoover to go around i never heard such nonsense i see people with them and i go like no no I, a dyson yes because don't bother plugging in something but no no i have to laugh at all of you who have these um notions Pori could do with the hoover now with all that tumbleweed going down his corridor That's true yeah the, 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 the robot the, robo, the, the robot could walk him around the house <laughs> well that would be handy yeah, if you had a robot lawnmower. No, 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 I'm going to get into trouble. Uh, you, could guys, tie, you could tie a lead, you could tie a lead around the robot and walk them. That'd you, be handy. Yeah, you said what I was thinking, but there are probably very good reasons not to do that. It is not yeah, advised. Probably so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come here, apart from anything else, though, Will, what we're all doing, we're all going to Noelle's house afterwards because she sounds like she has a great bar there that we could um, celebrate and start the weekend off with. A barrel of lager and a barrel of Guinness. What more would you want? Right. We'll see you there now, what, 5 to 12. See you there, 5 past. Thank you very much. Noel from Noel Interiors now in Dangan, Porrick Sullivan of mockmedia.ie and Pauline Flanagan from IT Carlo. The programme was put together by Sinead Hubble and Kayleigh Hardiman. You have yourself a great weekend and I'll chat to you on Monday morning from 9. And that's if I've recovered from the hangover at Noel. But, you know... Here's hoping.